3: Welcome to Overtime, I'm Mike Santoli in for Scott Wapner. You just heard the bells, but we're just getting started in moments. We'll get a fresh read on the health of the EV market when Rivian reports results. We'll bring in the breaking numbers and the instant stock reaction as soon as those numbers hit. Also ahead, we'll hear from Goldman's Tony Pasquarello. He heads up hedge fund coverage at the big bank, what he sees playing out in the market right now. But we begin with our talk of the tape. Is there a chance the bear market is now dead? Or is the rally off the mid-June lows just a giant head fake? Let's ask Anastasia Amoroso, iCapital chief investment strategist. Uh, Anastasia, great to see you here. We're going to pose uh, an impossible question to you, (laughs) which is uh, in real time very difficult to to say. But at today's highs in the S&P, you kind of recaptured half of the total losses from the January to June decline. Obviously, the market is seizing on this peak inflation story in such a way that says, look, maybe the economy is strong enough to handle whatever the Fed has left to do in terms of tightening. How would you read it right now, aside from a change in market? Tone has the opportunity set gotten better, worse? how would you say
4: I think it has I think we had a pretty significant reset and I think the narrative has shifted so first of all I like the technicals of this market I think what's really clear is that everybody that needed to sell must have sold in the first six months of the year and now you are actually having some buyers stepping in I mean we saw the headline this this morning for example that even hedge funds are starting to be forced back into this market they're covering those shorts even if they're not adding longs you've got you know now we're the 50-day moving average we're over 100-day moving average maybe we test 200-day moving average which means a lot of the technical flows, the CTA flows, can come into the market. And then you've got corporate buyback. So there's just kind of a lot of buy momentum behind this. And you don't want to invest purely on that. But to your point, I do think the narrative on inflation has shifted. And the narrative on the Fed has shifted as well. I mean, if you're the Fed, you're looking at the job openings numbers that are slowing. You're looking at the commodity prices that are falling. You're looking at the food index that had a major pullback in the month of in the month of July. Not in CPI, but the UN one. So I think there's a lot uh, for the Fed to say maybe we are justified to take it a little bit slower in the months ahead and that's good news for the market.
3: We did see uh, Treasury yields inching back up today, oil prices bounced. Just as we're celebrating the July inflation data, wholesale and consumer, it seems like we're going to at least have to get comfortable with whatever these levels are in terms of yields and commodities. I guess the question is, 200-day moving average in the S&P is, what, 2 to 3% higher from it's here? It's close. And we did have a little bit of a, of a sprint this morning to the highs, and then we rolled. So yeah. I just wonder if, if it tells you anything about where those buyers might remain.
4: Well, I do think that 4300 I think it's within reach and I think we may test that but I don't know that we'll sustainably break above that. So first of all, you run into some valuation math that might be a little bit challenging. We're at 17 and a half times multiple, $240 on next 12 month earnings estimates and are we really going to pay that much more for that and are we really going to see earnings revisions, you know, move high? I am not so sure. And then what I will say is momentum for now seems to be the up on the upside for stocks and less and until something derails it, but we've got the Fed minutes next week, yeah. and we've got Jackson Hole in the weeks following that, and then we have to worry about the September CPI print. So I wouldn't be surprised, even though you know my narrative is more constructive longer term, I wouldn't be surprised if we try to run it up to 4,300, and maybe we didn't quite make it there, mm-hmm. and we have a bit of a pullback. But it doesn't mean we're going back to the lowest per se.
3: Well, that's the, that, that is perhaps the point, is that the change in tone, and maybe the better risk reward type trade off the market might have presented recently might just shift your posture from hey you want to just take every selling opportunity you get to when you do get pullbacks to add uh, to risk levels. Uh, where would you do that, do you think, within the market?
4: Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, 3,700 seems like a great yeah, place to be sure. adding. And I think what we've discovered over the last, you know, number of weeks is that we're likely in this range between 3,700, I think that's where the support lies, given, given that math, and 4,300. So anywhere below 4,000, the closer we get to 3,700, I think it's a it's going to be a great buying opportunity uh, if, if we work our way yeah. back there.
3: You mentioned the Fed minutes. Um, and Jackson Hole, uh, when when the Fed's going to kind of gather and and give some kind of uh, state of the world and, and talk about their framework, is there a chance, and this has been a big talking point this week, that the market is kind of rallying itself into a moment when the Fed says, great, now we can do even more than we thought we had to before?
4: look, I know you can look at financial conditions and you look at the market and say, well, the Fed may not want this. But in my opinion, the Fed chair gave us a pretty strong reaction formula. He said that we're clo- we are we're act neutral, so that's one reason to take it a little bit more cautiously. Also, the tightening that we've added to the economy, it's acting now, but it's also going to act in the coming quarters. So there's a lot of tightening in the pipeline. So now that the economy is a little bit on the brink, let's just see how this plays out. And then he also said that to the extent that inflation data supports to the upside expect us to do more. It didn't surprise to the upside. We've got CPI and PPI that finally had a downside surprise. So I think if you apply that reaction function to it, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be the Fed that goes 75 basis points or something more. But Mike, we're still, again, another <laughs> CPI report away from it. Um, right. And a lot of time to go.
3: Another CPI report right before the next meeting. And you know, what, let's say, Vice Chair uh, Lael Brainerd has said on the record is that a succession of monthly declines in like maybe core uh, PCE or whatever inflation gauge they want to look at, that seems to be the standard for easing up a little bit. Um, so no matter what happens, we're still going to be month to month for a while.
4: Yeah, th- that's right. But but again, this is not to prevent the markets from maybe finding some more solid footing. And the fact that energy prices have fallen, right? It's not we can't just discard that because energy is such an important input into all many other parts of the CPI basket. And food, for example, if you think about agriculture and the energy component that goes into transportation and fuel and fertilizer, the fact that energy prices are pulling back now that could bode well for food production prices resetting lower as well. So I think there's a bit of momentum to this, Uh, and of course, the Fed is going to push back on it because they don't want those financial conditions loosening too much. But again, I think the math for now scores a little bit better for investors.
3: Absolutely. They are looking at things aside from financial conditions. Financial conditions are the tool, not really, you know, the actual job. Uh, Let's bring in CNBC contributor Jason Snipe of Odyssey Capital Advisors and David Ellison of Hennessy Funds into the conversation. Uh, Jason, just pick it up right there in terms of your own approach right now as to whether this 15% jump we 've gotten in u s equities uh, either creates a selling or buying opportunity for you yeah
2: we 're at an interesting inflection point, I think Mike you know obviously as you as you mentioned and, and talking with Anastasia, how we traveled back from the from the mid June lows at ba- basically about half of what we lost in January. I think obviously the news, this news, CPI news, the PPI news is very encouraging information and data points for, for the market as a whole and looking towards the Fed and Jackson Hole and, and obviously the commentary that we'll see next week. I think obviously this could be a situation where the Fed is saying to themselves, hey, maybe we don't need to go as hard as previously anticipated or telegraphed. And I think obviously that's why the market has responded. But I, I, I would caution. I think there's really some sticky parts of the inflationary narrative that we haven't talked about, which is, you know, shelter costs are still up 5.7 percent. Wages are are up a little over 5 percent. You know, these are these are parts of the markets that that are that are challenging and a little bit harder to to float downwards in the other direction so that's what i'm really paying attention to but hopefully this is a beginning of a trend you know going forward because obviously we're going to need a series of decreasing inflationary prints for us to feel a little bit more comfortable about the market uh, from here going forward
3: Sure. And, and Dave, I mean, you focus you know, largely on financials, really right at the center of a lot of these debates right now, both on, you know, do we, you know, have macro risks still shadowing us in terms of a descent into a recession and really also what the, the inverted Treasury yield curves are, are also telling us. How do you come down on those questions and whether, you know, the uh, I, I guess a likely uh, economic soft landing has uh, or a possible economic soft landing has become more likely?
5: Well, generally, you know, you know, from the market perspective, I think you've had a great July for the for the bulls. You've had, you know, the earnings were decent. uh, Oil's gone from 120 to 90, um, and unemployment is very low. So you've had a good run here. Now the question is, what they want now? The last thing they want, the last present under the tree that they want, is a Fed pivot, and that's going to take a little longer for to come. Uh, So I think the market may sit here for a while. But when it comes to the financial sector I I think the you know the big issue is not rates rates have gone up the market doesn't care yeah housing's a little weaker but it was too hot anyway I don't think rates are the problem I think prices of things are the problem. And the question now for me from a financial investor is that if we're in a a transitioning from let's say a ZERP or a zero rate environment to a rate environment that can be 2-3% at the short end. Four, five, six at the long end, then you've got a financial industry that has pricing power for the first time in 15 years, and that will translate into a pretty good earnings run here for the next couple of years.
3: Do you mean four, five, six percent at the long end in terms of government yields, or is that you know, going to be what banks can reap on, on loans? Because it's pretty unclear from here to there whether you know, the, the current equity valuation framework would, would tolerate you know, those types of yields in the short term.
5: Well, I think you again. You've got the prime at five and a half now. Let's yeah. assume it's six percent by the end of the end of the of the uh, the summer, and so your Fed funds are going to be at three. Banks maybe are going to fund at two. So you're going to mm-hmm. get margins that are expand significantly. Let's remember, you know, if you look at Bank of America, their yield on assets at the end of the quarter was about two twenty five, two mm-hmm. point two five percent at the end of the quarter, and that's below what the three-month t-bill is now so they've got a lot of way to go to get that yield on assets up now granted the cost of funds are going to rise but that margin should expand significantly over the next year or so
3: uh... anastasia I mean. Financials are fascinating in that sense because you look at the building blocks of how they earn their money and you look at the fact that consumers and companies don't look over leveraged and you say things should be great but you also don't get paid for owning you know, credit sensitive stocks into a potential economic uh, you know, soft patch.
4: Well, that's true, but this has actually been one of the turnaround trades that we've liked for the potential soft landing. Mm-hmm. And you know, start, starting in June, we were thinking about how do you position? What if the probability of a soft landing rises? And first of all, the probability has risen because mm-hmm. we now know that what Powell is trying to accomplish is below GDP, below potential GDP, and the unemployment rate that doesn't rise. And so far, that seems to be holding. The reason why financials benefit in this environment, of course, you've got the net interest margin expansion that is playing out especially as the hike rates further mm-hmm. then credit quality is really not deteriorating right. and to your point if you look at the debt service of the u.s consumer today it is half of what it was in 2008 so much better shape and then the last thing i'll say what's really interesting too is financials have the optionality on better capital market activity sure. we yeah. have not seen that but just in the last couple of weeks it seems like there's more deals and many deals that are coming to the market and there's also a lot of private activity there's yeah. a lot of private equity shops that want to take Cheap public companies, private. So all of that should benefit the financial sector as Corporate
3: well. credit is, uh, has picked up as well. Uh, we do have Rivian's numbers. They are out. Phil Lebeau has them. Hey, Phil. Hey, Mike.
6: For the second quarter, these numbers are a little bit better than what the street was expecting from Rivian. A loss of a buck sixty-two a share, one penny better than expected, and then revenues coming in slightly better than expected at three hundred sixty-four million dollars. The street expecting revenues of three hundred dollars. In terms of production, they produced more than 4,400 vehicles in the second quarter, delivering 4,467. We've known those numbers for a while. It ended Q2 with $15.4 billion in cash, producing 8,000 vehicles as of June 30th. That's important because they are reaffirming their guidance for full-year production of 25,000 vehicles. That's going to be a relief for investors. However, there is new guidance from the company for the full year. The company now expecting a greater loss, a $700 million greater loss. They now have an expect- expectation of an annual EBITDA loss of $5.4 billion they have net pre-orders as of the end of the second quarter of 93,000 vehicles. That's an increase from the previous guidance in May where it was just over 90,000 vehicles. They're looking to add a second shift at the end of the third quarter. And they also are saying that the supply chain, it continues to be a constraint on the growth of production. We'll be hearing more from RJ Scoringe, the CEO, coming up uh, in about 45 minutes. He's going to talk about that because I'm sure that's the primary question many analysts have. Just where are the problems within the supply chain. How fragile is it, so to speak? Finally, they uh, are confident that they are on schedule to launch the R2. That's the lower priced, uh, smaller SUV in Georgia starting in 2025. So again, better than expected numbers, not a lot better, but a little bit better than expected numbers for the second quarter from Rivian. However, they are lowering their guidance, expecting a larger full year annual loss. Mike, back to you.
3: Phil, thanks. Yeah, the stock trying to work through the the sort of push and pull within those numbers, it looks like. Um, This is a stock that has doubled off the lows, but still well off those post IPO highs. Uh, Jason, uh, just in general, is this the the type of situation that's going to come back into favor? Maybe it already has in some respects come back into favor in terms of long term secular growth story. We're not getting earnings right up front. It's not what anybody wanted a few months ago. uh, But is it the kind of longer term opportunity that makes any more sense today?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, Mike. Obviously, this is a tough trade. I mean, the stock's down 60% year-to-date. It's 200 times sales. Obviously, it's no earnings, as you mentioned. Uh, but this story is all about production and supply chains. You know, how, how are they navigating through supply chains? 25,000 uh, cars is the number. That's what they're trying to reach. So that's going to be very important. I mean, th- this is a very nascent business. It's very early stage. So I mean, for me, you know, these are names that are kind of in that art complex where it's just really hard to, to look at them as opportunities right now, you know, especially with the Fed's very much a part of the game and very much engaged. So I I, I would fade here maybe look at it in a couple quarters and you know going into next year and see what, what what it might look like the environment you know to to see whether these types yeah. of names make sense
3: yeah and and anastasia i mean i guess the the question is we got the you know we, we have the new law coming through that's going to at least to some degree help sentiment in uh, in this group but this company's getting a fair amount of fa- uh, credit already for how fast it can grow uh, at a 30 plus billion dollar valuation
4: Yeah, I don't want to comment specifically on the valuation of this company broadly, but I will say that my outlook for high growth tech stocks or high growth stocks period is a little bit better because we have seen so much money come out of this space. We have seen such a big reset in valuations. And when I think about electric vehicles specifically, this is a really big inflection point for electric vehicles. I mean, globally, EV sales this year, the first quarter up 80% year over year. In the United States, they're up 60%, 62% year over year. And if you look at the 2022 number, They've accelerated a lot. 2023 expected to do the same. So if you look at a company like Rivian, you know, they're making X number of units. But that's going to grow pretty significantly and pretty exponentially over the coming years. So consumers have more EV choices. The battery costs are going down. The break-evens are getting closer to the conventional cars. So I think we are at that inflection point in EVs. And, you know, when do you buy this? In 2021, when valuations are here, when when everybody did a SPAC? Um, I, I don't think so. I think this is the time that you actually look at the electric vehicle space here.
3: And uh, just to kind of pull it back out uh, to to the the broader uh, macro, David, um, if you look within financials, if you actually think that the economy holds together, what specific parts of the sector seem like they've kind of over discounted weakness? I mean, is it in consumer credit, some of the pure plays there or capital markets? Or do you just like, you know, kind of a general exposure to, to everyday banking?
5: Well, I, I think, you, you know, I've been buying and have a, you know, pretty large position now. And just the traditional commercial banks, uh, those are the sort of the it's a wonderful life wannabes from the old days that uh, they take deposits and make loans. They've got customers. And, and the issue now, too, is what's the cost of funds going to look like if rates stay here? And I think mm-hmm. the deposit franchises, which have been really a loss would have been worth nothing for many years because Wall Street could fund cheaper than the banks could if you included the pot the branch costs now that's not the case anymore and if they're able to hold those deposits at a reasonable rate relative to their uh, yield on assets that's gonna make them a lot more valuable in terms of their ability to generate earnings and then it drives dividends and buybacks and and the M&A activity so you know I, I think it's important that you know we, we look at banks not just as as, a, as an asset generator and we're about credit risk, we've got to think about, well, the liabilities are the real assets here. And those that can hold on to their cheap liabilities are going to make a lot more money than the others that can't. And, uh, and Jason, before we
3: wrap up, uh, is there anything that these kind of rapid moves in the market has uh, surfaced in terms of a chance to either lighten up or, or rotate into. I mean, industrials look like they they're behaving better. Uh, it seems like there's some appetite for more cyclical exposure being evident in this market.
2: Yeah, for me, Mike. I mean, really, it's been about energy. Uh, we really like energy here, and we've we shifted towards overweight. I think the supply chain, supply demand, I should say, imbalance is really the theme that makes sense to us here. The strategic. Petroleum Reserve will be off the dock in in October. I think that will play a role. So for us, energy
3: uh, seems really attractive and a place to be. All right. And has uh, certainly had a a pretty stiff pullback as well. Uh, Anastasia, Jason, and David, thanks very much. Talk to you all again soon. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. What is the best EV play right now? Tesla, Rivian, Ford, or Nikola head to at CNBC Overtime to vote. We will share the results later in the show. Up next, Goldman's Tony Pasquarello joins us. He heads up hedge fund coverage at the bank, what he is seeing in this recent rebound. And later, three top value plays, one money manager finding big upside in streaming, sports, and savings accounts. We'll bring you those names when over time What
7: does it mean to be rich?
3: You're on
2: a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at JohnDeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.
3: We are back in overtime. Take a look at the market rally off the mid-June lows. The Nasdaq up more than 15%. And that's got many asking if the bear market already is really over or if this recent rebound is just a bounce on borrowed time. Let's bring in Tony Pasquarella. He's head of hedge fund coverage at Goldman Sachs. Tony, great to see you.
8: Thanks, Mike. Good to
3: be here. You know, I, your piece recently, you were kind of assessing the the, the inputs that what's gotten us to this point, And you were kind of of the mind of, don't chase it, but don't fight it. Does that still make sense after we've kind of regained almost half the, uh, the S&P losses? I think so. Yeah. I mean,
8: I think, the, I think the basic challenge for the market has been well-defined for a while now, which is the Fed has been tightening into a slowdown. I'm not breaking news. Yep. Uh, that's still the case. Inflation's still too high. The Fed still needs to drain liquidity and tighten financial conditions. I think we've learned a lot, though, in the past six weeks or so, we've learned that the economy continues to be very durable and generate an enormous amount of nominal GDP growth led by the service sector and, of course, the labor market. We've learned that corporate America is in very good shape and making a claim on all that nominal GDP growth. And as of yesterday, I think we can breathe a little bit easier as it relates to the trajectory of inflation. You now that said, the Fed is still tightening to slow down. They still have their work cut out for themselves. We're still a long way from 2 percent core inflation. And so I don't think that dynamic completely changes. But in general, the narrative is a bit balanced today versus where it was coming out of the second quarter.
3: And what does the speed, trajectory, character of the rebound tell you about what the setup was and what we can expect from here in terms of just the mechanics of it and how, I guess, washed out the market got?
8: What's very clear is uh, it's hard to identify who the sellers would be now. It's pretty clear who the buyers will be. And so in the very short term, there's two clear places where we see sponsorship. One is corporate buybacks. So as we know, we've kind of cleared the blackout window as companies reported the second quarter. We expect $1 trillion of buybacks this year. So we are in the open window for that. And if you think about a Microsoft or a Google or an Apple, you know, these plans are 90 billion, 70 billion, 60 billion. Um, and so there's plenty of ammo there. The other place we look is what we call the non-discretionary trading community. think CTAs, uh, vol control products, risk parity, as a function of the rally, as a function of the turn down in realized volatility, and then some cross- asset correlation switches. That community, kind of non-discretionary funds are buying. It's hard to find the incremental seller right now.
3: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those systematic strategies, they'll, they'll kind of follow along with the trend. And also they just decide how much exposure to have based on how volatile the market has been. And it's obviously calmed down quite a bit. I guess, you know, if you're if you're out there looking for traps, it's well we've thought before that we were sort of in tune with where the Fed was going to go. Um, you know, have we simply rebuilt the Fed's capacity to, you know, be vigilant on inflation beyond what we think right now, even though we think in the six month window, the market looks out, it looks like the Fed is is going to be net friendlier than we expected a few months ago.
8: Again, I think they can breathe a little bit easier because for the first time in what feels like a long time, inflation doesn't feel like it's out of control. I think at 9.1 percent, that question was an open one. Um, Like I said before, though, they've met one of their two objectives. They're at full employment, three and a half percent unemployment. if anything's probably through full unemployment they're still missing the mark on core inflation by over 2x. It's a long road from 4.8 to 2.0. And as a client uh, who's been in the market for a long time put it to me, he said, hey, the hard yards in the war against inflation aren't necessarily from 5% to 3%. It's from 3% to 2%, because that's where we're going to get into the how much has the world changed around labor, deglobalization, et cetera. And so I think the Fed, again, they still have work to do. In our view, they're going to go 50 basis points next month. 25 November, 25 December, and that'll be three and a quarter come year end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm inclined to think we should still be open-minded that they may have a little bit more work to do ultimately.
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we can define what a Fed pivot would be, but that might actually qualify relative to where we were thinking about, you know, in the stagflation moment of a few Months ago, uh, that in fact it was going to be, you know, unending, well beyond four um, percent. So you think that's priced in at this point, I mean, You mentioned it, it's hard to get from five to three. We're not at five yet, really, in terms of inflation. Where do, where would equities be at five? I guess that's the question of whether we've already priced in the good scenario.
8: One interesting way to look at this is to think about it through the prism of financial conditions, which yeah. is we you know how we think the Fed uh, transmits their policy. The interesting thing is. Initial conditions today, our index is easier, as we speak, than it was in early June. They blasted away 75 basis points in June, 75 in July. And financial conditions, again, continue to ease. And so they clearly probably feel better about the outlook for growth as we do. 3.3 million new jobs this year. Seven months in, 3.3 million new jobs. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the service side of the economy uh, has held up remarkably well. And so they can probably feel a little bit more confident in the doing. But like I said, it's going to be a show me story. Does inflation come down far enough for them to back off? And like I said, I think that's still an open question.
3: Yeah, that's where the suspense is now. Um, also in the category of mechanics, I mean, your Goldman Sachs most shorted stocks basket has just screamed higher. Now, today, finally calmed down a little bit. We'll see if that lasts. Does that just mean that everyone's kind of offsides? And does does that tell you anything about where people might be forced into next, or is that an area of the market that might revive in a a lasting way? What I find super
8: interesting right now is how clean the discretionary hedge fund community is. And the quick sequence is uh, obviously a very tough start to the year, a brutal Q2. Um, When we entered last week, or through the course of last week, we saw the biggest degrossing, the biggest de-risking we've seen in 19 months. Mm -hmm. It was the second biggest on a data set going back six years. And so essentially, I think the trading community has said, let's clean up the books on both the long side and the short side. Then, of course, we have the rally uh, yesterday. We actually saw the biggest buying in in three months Mm -hmm. yesterday. So a little bit of a chase. But I still think that crowd, the discretionary crowd, is relatively clean of risk. Where you have shorts, they're probably going the wrong way. The basket you referenced is up 30% in the past month. We all know what kind of bounces we've seen in the likes of coin in RBLX, right? So there's been some painful moves there. I think in general, the pain trade persists. The big question for me is, as the market grinds higher and we're dead in the middle of the range, as you've pointed out, do people start to worry about the right tail risk? that the market continues to grind higher and I'm under risked, uh, what do I need to do to attend to that? The tell in our franchise would be people coming in to buy upside call options, mm-hmm. say on S&P or NASDAQ or, say, your favorite mega cap tech name. We haven't seen that in full force yet. That would be a pretty good tell that people are starting to reach.
3: Yeah. Upside risk is also risk if you're in the business. We'll see if that uh, materializes. Tony, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. All right. uh, Time now for a CNBC News update with Shepard Smith. Hello, Shep.
0: Hi, Mike. Thanks. From the news on CNBC, here's what's happening. The Department of Justice is asking a federal judge in Florida to unseal the search warrant executed two days ago on former President Trump's home at his Palm Beach Club and Resort. In addition, a redacted inventory list. In other words, an at least partial accounting of the items taken. The Attorney General Merrick Garland made the announcement last hour and noted he personally authorized the warrant. That five-page motion notes that the release is requested in the absence of objection from the former president. Just minutes ago, the Florida court asked the DOJ to learn the former president's position on the releasing of the information and get back to the judge in Florida by tomorrow afternoon. And still developing in Cincinnati, a police standoff with an armed suspect ongoing for hours now after that suspect allegedly tried to breach the FBI field office there this morning. Police say after he couldn't get into the visitor center, the man took off in a car, a chase ensued, and during it, he exchanged gunfire with officers. Cops say none of their officers were injured. The man is contained at minimum and is said to be no threat to the public by the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Updates on both of these developing stories on the news, right after Jim Kramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Mike, back to you.
3: Chef, thank you very much. Coming up, a contrarian streaming play. Disney seeing a nice pop on earnings, but our next guest is betting on a different streaming stock. We'll bring you that name. And don't forget, you can catch us on the go by following the Closing Bell podcast on your favorite podcast app. Over time. We'll be right back.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
3: We are back in overtime. Disney leading the Dow higher today, posting its best day of the year after the company's earnings report But our next guest is finding real value in another big name in the media space that is down 40 percent this year. Jonathan Boyer is principal at the Boyer Value Group. He joins us now on set here. John, good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, The stock we're referring to here is Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, Clearly, it's uh, kind of hit the skids not that long ago with a little bit of a revamped outlook. What do you like there?
1: There's a lot to like about the company. It's hit all the classic spin-off dynamics. First, it was, there was a merger or a spin-off with uh, AT&T. AT&T shareholders ended up owning 73% of the company. And there was a lot of forced selling by AT&T shareholders who had absolutely no desire to hold a levered uh, entertainment company. Um, And since then, you had the bad Netflix results. You had a bad economy. About everything that could go wrong went wrong. They just had a uh, release their results and they kind of kitchen sinked it and put everything bad possible. But it's cheap. It has fantastic um, properties. Uh, There's great growth there. Uh, And they've done a fantastic job in, uh, previously with Scripps in doing these synergies. So there's a lot to like there.
3: Discovery uh, had bought, had merged with Scripps, right? So that's prior to this deal. Um, You say it's cheap. I mean, do they have scale in streaming? Can they get it? Is it gonna be a standalone, attractively profitable business?
1: Yeah, I I think it will be, but they're not just going for streaming, and that's what we like about it. Mm -hmm. They have, and they've said, we're not just a streaming company. We're going to, you know, do theatrical, you know, uh, regular linear TV. There's so much there that they're not going to, you know, put all this content on streaming. For the benefit of just having more subscribers they're being very disciplined
3: still feeding off the yeah the old cable ecosystem to a fair degree did want to uh, switch over to uh, it's sort of an entertainment uh, play as well madison square garden it's one you've liked for a long time uh, kind of a I, I guess is some of the parts asset play but what's the current case
1: the current case is right now the enterprise value is about 4.7 billion dollars The Knicks uh, were just valued at about $6 So, essentially, you're getting paid to own the Rangers. Yeah, the
3: the Knicks are owned by the company, right? Yes,
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, the Knicks are owned as well as the Rangers. So, um, it's a sum of the parts play. Uh, Their sister company, Madison Square Garden Entertainment, is currently um, about to finish a project in Las Vegas called The Sphere. And we think it's likely that after that is done, James Dolan, who controls the company, will sell, we'll sell the teams. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is private equity has gotten involved in a big way and it wouldn't surprise us to put a marker on one or both of the teams if private equity decides to take a stake. It's worth noting that Silver Lake owns about 9% of the company. The uh, Oh, Egyptian billionaire owns about 5% of the company. So there's a lot of things that could happen.
3: Yeah, um, it's obviously hidden value, but there has to be a reason that the market won't pay for it now. Is, it, is there a tax liability? Is it just like you never know when this might happen? It's. I think it's, It's. you don't never
1: know what's going to happen. And with the Dolans, you know, you have that Dolan discount, yeah. but we've investing alongside them for a long time and it's been quite profitable. You just have to be patient. And most investors, as you know, want instant gratification. This is not an instant gratification stock, but a stock where you could, Conceivably double your money over the next couple of years. Plus, they're a huge beneficiary of legalized sports gambling. Mm. Um, it's now their largest uh, sponsorship category. So there's a lot to like, and I think, you know whether they sell part or all the team. Mm -hmm. And the one thing to also note is the best thing that Dolan could have done over the past decade has not been to sell the team. Essentially, it's just gone up and up and up in value. And it's been a great move for shareholders.
3: Yeah, despite the fact that uh, many people in New York have wanted him to do that for a a very long time. Um, Just quickly on the market in general, do you see it as being a target rich environment for a value investor or not so much?
1: I, it's a great time if you can take a two to three year view. Could stocks go lower? Absolutely. But there are a ton of stocks that are selling uh, ten times earn, uh, less than 10 times earning that are very good businesses. I think what investors really need to be cautious about is to beware of false bargains. There are a lot of stocks that have gone down 40, 50, 60 percent from their highs that are never coming back. And that's what an investor really needs to do. They need to do their homework and figure out which stocks they wanna buy and which stocks
3: have a great uh, prospects going forward. All right, John, thanks a lot for the update, appreciate it. Great, thanks for having me. All right, up next, we're counting down to Rivian's conference call. That stock on the move after its quarterly report. You see they're up about a half a percent after early losses. We'll have instant analysis after this break. Plus check out the OT move in Illumina stock plunging on results will bring you the details when overtime returns. We are back in overtime. Rivian shares bouncing off their OT lows following results. The company's call kicks off in less than 20 minutes. Let's bring in Gene Munster, managing partner at Loop Ventures. Gene, uh, good to catch up with you on Rivian, which is uh, a fascinating story. I mean, clearly markets saying this company has a viable future. The deliveries are coming through in decent amount. The, The issue is Uh, You know, it's again, a 30 plus billion dollar market cap. When Tesla had that market cap several years ago, it was already producing, I think, four times as many cars. So where is the market opportunity relative to the business opportunity that Rivian uh, sees right now?
10: Well, you still have to look two, three years out, Mike. And one difference between uh, Rivian and Tesla, the time Tesla had 700 million dollars in cash and was potentially going to lose all their cash. In this case, Rivian has 15 billion. The market cap is just over 30 billion, so we're 44% in cash at this point. So I think the dynamic is a little bit different. And the way I would kind of scope out the long term is, does this company have the muscle for escape velocity? And the answer is, these results would say we're not quite there yet. The most powerful part of these results is that they got 15 billion in cash, and that's an important piece in a relatively small workforce, which is more scalable relative to other car manufacturers. I think that's a big point. The piece that, uh, two things that jumped out to me on the long term, Mike, was first they reiterated that 25,000 delivery expectation, but the second on the negative was the pre-order number, 98,000 pre-orders. It was 90,000 on May 9th, and that is a modest step up. Just to put some context around this, is that Tesla, Cybertruck, it's over a million pre-orders. I think it could be even close to 1.5 million. I think Ford, they might've stopped the lightning at like 250,000, but 98 going from 90 to 98 just isn't enough uh, meat there. And to bring it all together, I, I still believe that Rivian is gonna uh, find their way forward. But these results show that the company is still uh, trying to get its sea legs.
3: Yeah, so does that, Imply that only Tesla really has escape velocity in this industry right now, because Rivian seems relatively far along. You did mention Ford, but that's a you know obviously a, a different mix.
10: Yeah, I think Tesla is the clear potential winner here. You know, they have the production, they have the scale with Austin, with the gigafactories. Ultimately, traditional autos in a tough spot, and I think we're going to see that in the weeks and years to come. Is that it's just very difficult to build electric cars. This uh, narrative that just because car companies have built cars for a long time, therefore they're going to be successful, I think misses a point generally. And so I'm uh, very optimistic really, to Tesla. I think there's a $2,500 stock long term, uh, a lot of controversy around that, but I think that they ultimately are best positioned for that escape velocity. And just to put some context into escape velocity, I talked about those pre-order numbers. We also track their lead times on their products uh, for their cars and they're pushing uh, 9 to 12 months. Rivian is four to six months, so you have a much longer lead time. That's a sign that consumers want their products. Another piece that Tesla has is that their average Model Y and Model uh, 3 is about $58,000. The average price of a of a Rivian is $80,000, and uh, similar for other electric car companies. And to really hit that, you have to have production, and you have to have a price point that consumers want. And so, I, I think that it ultimately bodes well for Tesla over the long term.
3: All right, yes, yeah, scale is, uh, is definitely elusive in this time of, t- of supply chain issues and all the rest of it, Gene. Uh, appreciate your perspective. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, up next, we're tracking the biggest stock movers in overtime. Steve Kovac, all over the action. Steve, what's on deck?
11: Hey there, Mike. Yeah, we got some more science. Demand is holding up for the high end consumer. Plus, we'll illuminate you on what's causing one health tech stock to fall after hours. And investors are hungry for another stock after the company beat expectations, and Q2 earnings. We'll have all that for you when Closing Bell Overtime returns.
3: We're tracking the biggest movers in overtime. Steve Kovac has all of them. Hey, Steve. Yeah, Mike,
11: Apple shares are slightly positive here after a Bloomberg report saying the company will match the 2021 production levels for its next iPhone model, which is expected to launch as soon as next month. That report comes a day after we heard from Apple's assembler in China, Foxconn, say demand for high end smartphones remains strong, but demand for cheaper devices is slipping. And remember, CEO Tim Cook said two weeks ago on the earnings call, Apple will continue to grow despite a glut of macroeconomic headwinds. And meanwhile, shares of Illumina are down about 20% here uh, after reporting Q2 earnings. The health tech c- company reporting a miss on the top and bottom lines with a $1. $1.16 billion in revenue and EPS of 57 cents versus the 65 cents expected for the quarter. company also giving disappointing four-year guidance, predicting 4% to 5% revenue growth versus the 15% expected. And finally, Toast shares soaring here about 7% after beating revenue expectations and forecasting a strong third quarter. Toast reporting revenue of $675 million versus $651 million expected. Company also smashing expectations for third quarter revenue expectations. Mike, back to you.
3: All right. Another pretty recent IPO that was uh, beaten up, getting a little bit of a break there, Steve. Thank you very much. You got it. Up next. Buying on discount, one money manager says the worst is over for this retail stock. It's down 20% this year. We'll bring you the name in our two-minute drill. And coming up at the top of the hour, RBC's Halima Croft joins the Fast Money crew to break down what's next for oil. Don't go anywhere. Over time, it's back after this. Last call to weigh in on our Twitter question of the day. We asked, what's the best EV play right now? Rivian, Tesla, Nikola, or Ford? Head to at CNBC Overtime to vote. We will share the results later in the show. Plus, our two-minute drill. Don't go anywhere. Overtime we will be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. Let's get the results of our Twitter question. We asked, what is the best EV play right now? The winner was Tesla with 58% of the vote. I guess uh, the incumbent in EVs uh, is still the favorite. It's time now for our two minute drill. Joining us now, WingCrest Capital CEO, Barbara Ann Bernard. Uh, Barbara, good to uh, good to catch up with you. Uh, let's talk, if you could, about, uh, you know, the broad market setup at the moment. Pretty interesting crossroads. We were talking all hour about the S&P gaining just about half of its overall losses Seems to act like we're in pe- past peak inflation uh, and maybe past uh, peak Fed hawkishness. Would you buy
7: into that idea? Unfortunately, I don't think this rally is sustainable. And if you're chasing this rally at this point, I think you're fighting the Fed. The market got really excited when inflation looked like it had peaked. But we've had two members of the Fed, Evans and Kashari, come out and say it hasn't changed their thoughts on the appropriate plan forward. So rates are still going up. And if you are betting that we are going to have a soft landing, unfortunately, you're betting against history. 85% of the time, tightening cycles have led to recession. And 100% of the time, when you've had an inverted yield curve like we do today, we've had a recession. So the thing that I think is important to put into perspective is even though inflation may have peaked, we must remember that inflation Mm -hmm. peaked in 1980, but stocks didn't bottom until 1982. So unfortunately, I just think it's a little premature to be giddy.
3: Yeah, market does sometimes get impatient uh, to call the turns, uh, So we'll definitely be mindful of that. Uh, Now, let's talk about individual names. One that you do like on the long side, Capri Holdings. What's uh, what's the story there?
7: Yeah, so Mike, at WinCrest, we look for longs that can double and shorts that can have. So we think Capri is a really interesting story. What is it? It is a conglomerate of globally renowned fashion brands. And it includes Michael Kors, which is a middle market brand for all mm-hmm. sakes and purposes, and Jimmy Choo and Versace. Those trade at different multiples, and so the market always wants to put the middle market multiple on this company when it deserves a much higher multiple, in our opinion. So the company just reported sales grew 9% year on year, they reiterated their guidance of $6.85 for the year in earnings, and that puts this company on a 7.3 times Mm -hmm. forward P.E. That's incredibly Mm -hmm. cheap for a company of this quality that's growing with a strong balance sheet. Um, and so the company is executing on its strategy to reduce its footprint in the U.S. and expand with the Versace and um, brand in Asia, where it's underpenetrated, and that's working. Mm-hmm. So how cheap is it? If you just put the right multiple on the right sales for this company, you're looking at ninety percent upside. So the luxury comps like LVMH, Prada, Richemont, Hermes, Montclair, they trade for an average of five point seven times sales. If we give that mm-hmm. to Jimmy Choo and Versace, I think that's totally fair. And then you look at the Cores business, and if you value it the way Coach is um, valued at an EV right. of 1.6, you're 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 getting a $13 billion equity value, and the company's at yeah. $7 billion today. So you're getting Cores for free.
3: All right, <laughs> close for free. Uh, Cores for free, like it. Uh, Barbara, appreciate it, Barbara and Bernard. We are at a time that does it for overtime today. Fast money begins right now.